Hey everyone, welcome to the Prince of Peace podcast, where our aim is to help you live and love like Jesus. I'm Lauren Hlaud, one of the pastors of Prince of Peace. We're glad that you're here and we hope you enjoy. Well, good morning. It's been um, one of those weeks for me that has felt particularly heavy, and, and maybe you've felt that, that weight this week as well. It's honestly been one of those weeks where I've struggled all the way up until last night to figure out what exactly, God, do you want me to proclaim? What do you want me to say, standing in front of your people at Prince of Peace, in the wake of more national tragedy? It was one week ago that I first heard about the El Paso shooting and the shooting that happened just up the road in Dayton. I was standing right there by the welcome desk when somebody came up to me and said, Pastor Lauren, have you heard about what happened in El Paso? And I said, no, I I haven't. And they told me the news about how um, an armed gunman walked into the 10th busiest retail store in America. That Walmart in El Paso is the 10th busiest retail store in America, and opened fire targeting people of Mexican descent because of hatred in his heart. And you know the most surprising thing for me when I heard that news last week? The most surprising thing for me was how underwhelmed I was. Maybe you've reacted that way this time around. I remember them telling me that, well, you know, 22 people killed And my reaction was just, oh, yep. That's not normal, folks. And then about an hour later, in between services, someone else came up to me and said, did you hear about what happened in Dayton? And I said, well, don't you mean El Paso? And they said, no, Dayton. Well, what happened in Dayton? Well, in a busy section of uh, nightlife, a a guy walked in front of a bar and opened fire and killed nine people. And again, my reaction was somewhat off. I felt numb to it. Even in our own backyard, it, it, it's, it's become so commonplace for us. And I just want to affirm, if anyone here has felt numb in the wake of these, has felt maybe a little bit desensitized to this, that's not normal, but it's understandable. Because we are living in this time that is so confusing. You know, it was 20 years ago, 20 years ago this April, that the Columbine High School shooting happened. Now, before Columbine, before 1999, there were tragic events, there were tragic shootings, there were mass killings, there was gun violence in our country. It's, it's always been a part of our country, but Columbine seemed to mark a new era, this new era of, of fear and domestic terrorism of students being afraid to go to school, of people being afraid to go to movie theaters, of these tragic mass shootings that seem to be unique at the scale that they are to our country. Now, I interned in Littleton, Colorado, just like Pastor Alicia and Pastor Kim interned here in Loveland. My internship site was Littleton, Colorado. The local, the local high school that the majority of students went to was Columbine. 
that year I spent doing ministry there, it taught me that those scars are deep. That those wounds are not healed. These things are not supposed to happen. I found myself now this week um, doing something that I haven't thought about in a long time. In the military, you're trained to always be hyper-vigilant, to always be on the lookout, to always be aware of your surroundings. And I found myself, out of, out of old muscle memory, going into the grocery store and just kind of scanning the area, looking at people, looking at if could they have something under their coat. This isn't normal. This is not what God intended. And it grieves me deeply that people can be filled with such hatred and with such violence and have the access to tools that can mow people down in 30 seconds. That grieves me. I've carried those weapons. And they are ugly. And they are not of God. They are instruments of death and war. And as Christians, that should grieve us that we have become God's creative children that hide behind arguments in plateaus and political platforms to debate while people are being killed in our country. The same weekend, last weekend in Chicago, over 40 deaths to gun violence didn't even make the news because of these other tragedies. We need to wake up, America. We have a problem. No other country on earth experienced the amount of death to gun violence than our nation. And there are no simple answers, and there are no easy answers. But hiding behind old rhetoric, I'm tired of it. I'm over it. Because as a follower of Jesus, I firmly believe that God wants us to embody love, radical love, which means that we better be ready for action and have our lamps lit. Because now, more than ever, the world needs the children of peace. Now, more than ever, our country needs people of good faith to stand up shoulder to shoulder with those who grieve and mourn and provide Christian care. Now more than ever, we need to lay down our false ideologies to take up our true identity. Followers of Jesus Christ who had no room for hatred or anger or silly arguments in his heart. For he understood that his mission was crystal clear to proclaim release to the captives and liberty to the oppressed, to love beyond measure. Is love the dominant value in our lives? Or do we forget that so quickly? Have you ever created something? Have you ever used your hands or your heart or your mind to create something? It's beautiful, isn't it? Maybe you're an artist and you like to paint. Maybe you've built a website and you want to share it. Maybe you've started a business or a relationship. You've created this new relationship and you want to show it off to the world, right? When you create something, you want nothing more than for, for people to experience it, to marvel at it, to enjoy it. Well, lately in our house, Noah 
has started playing, our two-and-a-half-year-old has started playing with these foam blocks, right? Little foam blocks, rectangles, squares, triangles, semicircles, little foam blocks. We have a bin filled with them. And that bin lives in the living room, which I've always found funny, right? Living rooms. We have a living room and a family room. No life ever happens in the living room. Maybe that's like in your house. Like a family room is where the action is. But the living room's like that room you don't sit in and you really don't want, you know, people to sit in because it's kind of, it looks nice. Well, our living room is where Noah gets, gets to the work of creating. Just a few weeks ago, he started playing with these blocks for the first time. They were there for a long time, but he's just recently taken interest in them. And we can be in the kitchen or in another room, and Noah will get busy building these blocks, and he'll run into the kitchen. He'll come and find us. And I remember the first time this happened. Noah ran into the other room, and he said, Daddy, Daddy, come and look. I built you something. I built you something. And I went into the room, and I, now I know all parents think that their kids are geniuses, but mine really is. I mean, he really, he, I mean, when I saw what he built, I, I started looking up engineering schools. And I remembered that the Ohio State University's got a great engineering school, and I thought, well, son, you're really going to make your dad proud one day. Because he built this amazing tower, two and a half years old. He was stacking foam blocks on top of foam blocks, and he built this tower. There were three or four structures where all of these little triangles were balancing on semicircles, and it was amazing. And then he, he said, look, Daddy. I said, what is that? He said, that's a birthday cake. That birthday cake's for you. I said, my birthday's not for months. He said, that's your birthday cake. Building all of these things. And now... Noah loves to do this, and it's become routine in our household. And now when Noah's done building and creating, he'll come find us, and usually what happens, we have a dog in the household named Opal, a big boxer, and that dog, the whole family, we will all run into the living room, and unfortunately, a lot of the time, Opal is so excited <laughs> that her tail will knock over some of those blocks. Or believe it or not, I know that you think my kids are perfect. Believe it or not, sister, oh sister, will come into that room and see those blocks and that look will, will, will form in her eyes, that, that ornery look, and she'll go over and she'll knock those blocks over just to see her brother's reaction. Now when that happens, when the thing that Noah's created and taken time to create, the thing that he wants to share with us, when it gets toppled over, two things happen every single time. Number one, instant tears. And anger. Tears that really quickly turn into anger. So if Opal did it, Opal! Or if Brianna did it, Sissy! He's so mad. He cries out. But what's the second thing that Noah does without fail? He bends over, and he starts building the tower again. He starts putting it back together every single time. And sometimes Brianna thinks this is a joke, and will kick it over again. And he'll say, Brianna, sissy! And then he'll start building again and again and again. Noah is a lot like God. Can you imagine God on day one of the creation? When the logos 
as John's Gospel tells us. The Christ, the Logos, the one through whom everything was created, without whom nothing would have been created. Can you imagine that creative power and force and joy and excitement of the Holy Trinity of our God when God said, let there be light, and there was light? When God separated the sky from the earth, when God formed the mountains and the trees and the birds, and then when God's prized creation was formed, humanity, when God created people? Can you imagine the joy and the excitement and the palpable energy of our God? And then God did something remarkable. God God gave it all to God's created people. God said, now you steward it and you care for it. Can you imagine the hopes and the dreams that God had in the beginning of creation? This is going to be great. I've created lush gardens and beautiful mountains and, and, and beautiful rivers that are lush and vibrant and verdant for these people to enjoy. And their only job is to enjoy it and is to steward it and is to care for one another and is to love one another and is to be a blessing. God's vision for humanity was that we would live in harmony and that we would live in love. And can you imagine God's grief when our ancestors first wanted to be just like God and have all the power and have all the wisdom and have all the knowledge, and when that hunger for power and wisdom and knowledge led them to sin, and so they ate of the fruit. And can you imagine the grief that God must have felt when that second generation, when Cain out of jealousy killed his brother Abel, can you imagine the tears and the grief? And yet, what did God do? After the tears and after the anger, God got busy building the tower again. Every single time. Because our God is a God who never gives up on God's people, ever. The people would get it wrong they would form camps and tribes. They would separate themselves from others. They would create enemies. They would become obsessed with power and reputation. They would try to build towers that reached heaven so that other peoples would know that they were the best. And again and again and again, God would grieve because the people were misaligned to their true purpose, to be a blessing, to live in love, to live in harmony. And the course of human history is a long history of people like you and me getting it wrong again and again and again, dividing ourselves based on race, based on ethnicity, based on color, based on economic status, dividing ourselves and making enemies of the other. And every single time we have done that or our ancestors have done that, God has grieved. God has grieved. And yet... God also gets busy building the tower, putting the pieces back together again. Because our God is a creator who never gives up on us, even when we seem to be at our lowest. 
And God would try creative ways to build the tower. God would give the law through Moses. Let me spell it out plainly for you. God would send the prophets to remind the people again and again that you are to be a light unto the nations. You are to be my people who shine brightly, who don't, do, not, do not subject people with means of oppression, but liberate people. You are to be those God wrestlers who invite other people into this beautiful tapestry of human life, and yet again and again and again, we miss the mark. But God still wouldn't give up. Even though we broke God's law and smashed it, even though we rejected His love, even though we would kill the prophets, we have a God who would never give up. We have a God today whom we worship who had come in the form of Christ. The Logos that was there at the beginning of creation would now come in the incarnate flesh to show us what it really means to be human, to show us what it really means to love without limit, to show us what it really means to live into the freedom of the kingdom that God has so freely given us. Our gospel today from Luke chapter 12 reminds us, Jesus says it is God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom this has always been the case god doesn't just give the kingdom and say "Ah, i don't really want to give it to them they're going to screw it up no god it's his good pleasure to give us the kingdom it's what god enjoys the most is to give us this kingdom this garden this earth to care for that jesus would come and he would show us what true love looks like He would cut through every social division, every political argument of his time. He would cut through all of the animosity and hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans, between those on the inside and the outside. Jesus didn't care about any of it. All he cared about was showing us what it means to love, to be the created people that God wanted us to be, the dream that God had when God first created humanity. That's what Jesus came to embody. And you know what? Some people loved that vision, and they gathered around him, but others didn't. And they did to Jesus exactly what they did to the prophets. They made him out to be the enemy, the one standing for love and justice and peace. They made him into the enemy of the state and they killed him. And they said, you're done. You're done. No more of this radical talk. You don't live in reality, Jesus. We're going to hush you up and we're going to publicly ridicule you and make you a scene so that others will know that they need to obey the empire. And it looked like death and hatred, and that old narrative, it looked like it won for about a day and a half. But on Sunday, God raised Jesus from the grave to show us that love and life win, that peace and mercy are more powerful than hatred and darkness. You cannot drive out evil with evil. Only love can do that. And that empty tomb is our sign and our symbol that we hold on to. That the very worst thing that could ever happen to us will not be the last thing. God building the tower again and again and again. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that I've really been wrestling with this week. Yes, we have a God who always builds the tower, creates again, 
puts the pieces back together. But I think sometimes we forget our place in this story. We wash our hands clean. We say there's nothing I can do or I should do. God will have to fix it all in the end of, in the, end of the days, right? So we go back to our old arguments. We, we continue to grow numb. We continue to just throw our hands up in the face of these horrendous tragedies. Maybe we've forgotten the fact that before Jesus ascended into heaven, he commissioned us to embody his work. As the Father has sent me, now I send you to proclaim release to the captives, to teach, preach, and baptize. As the Father has sent me, I send you. You now, body of Christ, you now, church, you build the tower. You comfort those who are mourning. You advocate for justice. You live in love in such a way that the world can't help but take notice. You will be the one. And have no fear, for I will come again. And in that fullness of time, we will do this work together. So church, let us wake up. Let us stand for truth. Let us stand for peace. Let us embody the name of our very congregation, for we are Prince of Lutheran Church. May the peace and love of God so fill us that we can't help but share that with others. I know there is a temptation in today's reality to just isolate, to just flip the news, to just turn it off, to just kind of retreat into a little cave. God says, stand up. Your lamp should be burning. Your staff in hand, get ready. For today is not a dress rehearsal. Today is the real thing. May our witness shine far brighter than the darkness that surrounds us. May we be the children of God that this world needs. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Prince of Peace podcast. I hope that today's message has brought comfort and inspiration to your life. Have a great rest of the week.